Hi there and welcome to Dialogos with me, Will Milne, where we speak with some of the most interesting and insightful people in the world today. Today's guest is Nicholas Frank, a German author um, and journalist. Um, he is perhaps best known as the son of Hans Frank, the Governor General of Poland during World War II. Um, and Nicholas has dedicated his life to researching and strongly criticizing the crimes of his father and uh, raising awareness about what the Holocaust did. So Nicholas, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this interview. Um, so first of all, would you be able to outline just briefly who your father was and what memories you have of your father? Were they um, sad memories, happy mem memories? Do you have many? Um, yeah. How many hours you have time to, <laughs> to tell all this? Yeah. My father, Sorry. Hans Frank, born in 1900, uh, was the deputy of the Führer Adolf Hitler during our occupation of, the, of Poland as a governor general. And so he was politically spoken responsible for every killing uh, of anybody on this soil then. Uh, I myself born in 1939, so I have only few memories about my father and uh, one who for sure saved my life was that my father did not acknowledge me as his son, but the son of his best friend. <laughs> Uh, and there was a scene in the castle of Belvedere in Warsaw uh, where I was running around the round table, always trying to get into the arms of my father. And I was crying and he was uh, always on the opposite side telling me, what do you want? You are a little stranger in German, Fremdi. <clears throat> what do you want? You are not belong to our family. What are you doing here? And uh, I really was crying, but then you only have two choices. You can become a, a physically and psychotically wreck, or you build up a, a healthy distance. And the second subconsciously uh, happened to me. I didn't like my father. On the other hand, I, uh, I, it has burned the only lucky memory together with my father I was going into his bathroom and he was shaving himself and then he put a little of the foam on my nose and this was the only friendly scene the last scene was when we uh, visited him in the Nuremberg prison shortly before the verdict came out and all my siblings, myself, and also our mother knew that he will be, uh, that he will get the death penalty. And I was sitting on the lap of my mother and um, <clears throat> was looking through the window behind. He was sitting beside a white helmet American soldier or guard. And he was lying to me, saying we will soon celebrate in a happy way Christmas at our house at the Lake of Schliersee in the Upper Bavaria. 
And I was thinking, why is he lying? He knows that he will get the death penalty. Why is he lying to me? So it was also the last scene very disappointing for me. Um, how, so the relationship between your father and Hitler, when did that begin and how, how close did it get? Was it, was it a purely working relationship? Was it a friendship? Um, how, yeah. <clears throat> I would say uh, during the years before Hitler became Chancellor of the German Reich in 1933, he was very close to him because he was his personal lawyer in Munich and around Germany. And uh, there he was very close to him and he really was falling in love to the Führer. Uh, my eldest sister once said, our father loves Hitler more than his own family. And he was, it was right. And after Hitler took over power, my father was politically spoken a dead person. Uh, but then suddenly he got the call after we invaded Poland in 1939, he became the call from the Führer. He should take over uh, the governor general. And um, I really very often was thinking why Hitler did this. And the only answer I found was Hitler knew exactly the doggish character of my father, said this guy would never make any problems to his program, for instance, uh, killing all the Jews around Europe. Um, so tangibly during World War II, what, would, what did your father do? As in, what did his role actually entail physically? Like on a day-to-day -day basis. His role was, he was a top guy in the government general. Yeah. So uh, he tried to have every responsibility for everything what's happening in, in the government general, but the true power was with Himmler, was with the SS, but he was responsible and he knew exactly what happened in our, uh, in all the camps where we killed all the Jews, Poles, Ukrainians and all other kind of people around Europe. So he knew exactly and he could have tried to resign because he not really had the power in the government. But he was too much in love with Hitler. He was too much in love with his Mercedes. He was too much in love with his wonderful address. Wawel means castle, Krakow, uh, Poland, and he has a weekend castle, and he has a castle in Warsaw, Belvedere. So he was someone, and um, but he never tried to resign. Did you? Did you or your? Obviously, you're very young. But did your? How big a? Presumably your family knew everything that was happening. Obviously you were a small child. Did, I, you, did your family I, know that this was happening? I didn't know anything. I re remember one visit together with my nurse 
and together with my mother and the chauffeur, uh, uh, the Krakow Ghetto, but ghetto, but I didn't know that this was a ghetto. I was surprised because of all the sad people around me and about the sad children my age who was walking around or just staring at me at the big Mercedes and at uh, SS cards. And uh, later I, I went, when I, when I grew up, I went to the nurse Hilde. She was a wonderful Bavarian girl and asked her this, are the flashes in my mind, could you tell me? And then she told me that was in the Krakow ghetto, for instance. So growing up, you mentioned a castle earlier. Did you, were you predominantly growing up in that castle, in the castle, um, or where, where was the main area that you that you grew up? And what was that like? Was it a happy childhood? Uh, we always was, we always were about half a year in the government general. And the other half of the year, we were at our house at the Lake of Schliers in Upper Bavaria. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what was that like? Did, did, did you have everyone sort of serving you and giving you everything you wanted as the child? For sure, for sure. We had our own servant and uh, I never experienced any, uh, to be hungry or to experience being bombed and all this kind of had. So it was a wonderful childhood I had on a lake of blood. Hmm. Did you ever meet meet Hitler or any of those uh, high up figures? I I don't remember. No, you don't. I don't remember. I I, yeah. I would say I didn't meet him personally. Yeah. What was your What was your mother like? Um, obviously, she's her husband's this high high ranking Nazi officer. Was she of the same ideology? Did she support what was happening? A mother not even was a member of the Nazi party. Oh, wow. My mother uh, was from the beginning of her life. Uh, she was born in 19, uh, 1895. So she was uh, five years older than my father. And during the First World War, for instance, she had very uh, happy dealings with German Jews. Uh, taking furs uh, and other things in uh, to to sell them with a bigger price to have some money for uh, her family, and uh, these relationships with the Jews she had till 1933 made a good money with the Jews, and from then on. She loved very much to be one of the Reichsdamen. Uh, and uh, she was not interested in, in um, educating her children. She was always away. She had an own car, an own chauffeur, and a lot of, of uh, girlfriends around. And she led a very luxurious life till to the end of the war. Then we suddenly were, were the family of a, of a mass murderer and uh, no money was left, no, car, no castle was left. 
and suddenly we were very poor and which I really admire at my mother. She immediately said, now it's over. Now I have to try in a hostile surrounding to feed my children, to bring them up, which she did. And uh, it was a heavy time for her. And um, so she died very early on the 20th, my, on my 20th birthday, on the 9th of March in 1959. And um, so I have a different relationship. My father, I really despise. My mother, she never did anything for her Jewish friends during the Third Reich. But she, she made it possible that I can get to school, that I can get my German Abitur, as we call it here. So I have to thank her on the other way. And what I really appreciated, she never said anything glorifying the Third Reich, glorifying her husband, my father, nothing. She said, it is, it's over, now it's a new reality and I have to confront myself with a new reality. And that was great. Um, during this new reality, how, how were you treated by the occupying forces? How, how, how were you treated by society and the government? Um, as a obviously you were a small child, but as a member of this family, how was your family treated? Um, uh, my mother wasn't uh, treated uh, very good, that's for sure. They took away all of our fortune, so we really were very poor. But on the other hand, I myself experienced that it was wonderful to grow up as a son uh, of a criminal who was a big Nazi in the new Germany. Because so many old Nazis who were at this time still young uh, made a new career in the so-called Bundesrepublik Deutschland and was it was really great when they found out that I am the son of the innocent Hans Frank. They always gave me money or they gave me some meals or so. So it was really positive to grow up as the son of this mass murderer. Um, at what point did you begin to hate your father? So obviously did that start when when he was alive did it start when he was killed at nuremberg hanged at nuremberg or was it later on that you began to despise and realize the atrocities that he'd done uh, it was strange from the very beginning uh, everybody in germany uh, has something to do with uh, with uh, with the war father sons killed uh, at the front or bombed out of the houses so every every child could compare but if you have a father who was in prison who was shown every day in the newspaper 
as dependent and then he was hanged, this you couldn't compare. So that was a difficulty uh, in my young life. Uh, but on the other hand, the name Frank was like Müller, Becker, Schulze. It was not a famous name like Göring or Himmler. The children of Himmler and the daughter of Göring, they really had big difficulties. I never was asked uh, when I said my name that somebody says to me, wait a minute, Frank, are you by chance the son of the butcher of Poland, as he was called by the Americans? No, never happened. Um, so you start researching your father's life. Um, when does that happen and what spurred you on to do that um, aspect of, of your career? I, I was always very curious. Till nowadays I am very curious. So I asked uh, all the relatives and then all the former girlfriends of my mother, old ladies then, and, uh, because I was curious about the true life of my parents. And also to find out maybe that my father <laughs> was uh, hiding or has hidden some uh, savings of Jews or other people. Mm -hmm. So I was interested. And um, the other thing which urged me to ask all the people was the new Germany. Because I always knew in all my meetings with other people around Germany, there is still a big, big anti-Semitism. And that made me very furious. Uh, and so I, I tried harder to find out what kind of a father he really was. And uh, this was ugly in a certain way. Hmm. Emotionally, how did it feel uncovering so many things about your father? Did it, did you have a really intense emotional reaction? Um, did you feel just really depressed or was it yeah how, how was that no i never was depressed mm. i never felt guilty mm. that i was the son of this guy i always was furious about what he has done and uh, since i'm nowadays 84 years old more than ever because Germany is again being in the same kind as we have been before the Third Reich started. We are very anti-Semitic people and we are now offending everybody who is uh, fleeing to us and uh, it's really horrible. The situation right now, in my mind, in Germany is horrible because the Germans never let the pain 
which we, the Germans have distributed about millions of innocent people that come to our own heart, to our own soul. So we are still a people without any mercy. Just um, for someone obviously who's who lives in the UK, not not overly familiar with what's happening in Germany, what is specifically happening that you see as a rise in anti-Semitism? Um, <clears throat> what, what sort of, you said... Uh, yeah. The Jewish people are afraid, the Jewish people who lived in Germany are now afraid going outside their homes. The Jewish children are very afraid of visiting their schools, their Jewish schools we have here in Germany. The houses and flats are painted against with a swastika or with sentences like Jews go home or something like this. It's really unbelievable. Hmm. Has your, so I assume your work you've done throughout your career has been with the, not just looking back at the past, but also looking at the, the present and the future. And you've always, the purpose of it has been to make, remind people of what happened so that it doesn't happen again. Is that is that the purpose of your work, would you say? For sure, for sure. Yeah. That we will not repeat the Holocaust. Yeah. But we are, my, my newest uh, book, which came out in October this year, there's a title, again prepared for killing the Jews. It's not the exact title. The exact title is Zum Ausrotten wieder bereit? Question mark. And I have a lot of examples which are now happening in Germany, which is the same years during the Weimar Republic before the Third Reich started. Yeah. Um, was there a specific point at which you realized that this should be one of the focuses of your career, or was it a, was it decades later, or was it was it always a desire of yours? No, it was uh, when I met uh, my my wife. She became my wife then in uh, 1962. Uh, I told her once upon a time I will write about my father. So it was always inside me. But on the other hand, I swear to myself, I will never give my father the chance to ruin my life. So I started to write when I was nearly 48 years old. I was journalist, I was um, the Stern magazine, and had a very good time and also very busy time. And uh, I loved my wife, I loved our child, and I loved being around in the world uh, during my profession as a journalist. It was a great time, but in the back of my mind always was this father ticking, ticking, ticking. Um, I gather you, you carry a photo of your dad your father around is that is that true? I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, when I when I wear my jacket, there's a, a, a photo of my father when he after the execution, together with uh, 
photos of my beloved ones, our daughter, my three grandchildren, especially my wonderful wife. Uh, she died one and a half years ago. And um, it's this picture I found the first time in 1975 or something like this. Uh, here and there, look at him and see him now smiling all over his face because he's not dead. He, he's back in town. He is back in Germany. He's back influencing with his bloody ideology German people. Yeah. And how did, how did the rest of your, did your, the rest of your family go down your road? and seek to bring awareness about what happened? Um, or... I had four siblings and three of them <clears throat> repeated <coughs> all their life. Our father is the innocent victim of Hitler, Himmler and the victorious justice in Nuremberg. They never acknowledged anything against my father. Um, the fourth sibling, Norman, my eldest brother, he used to say, I know our father was a criminal, but I love him, which I understand. He was 11 and a half years older than me. So he had much more years, many more years together with our father, who was at home a very witty person, very charming. And so children really could love him by heart. Norman, my eldest brother, but I discussed with him all our life together. He died when he became, shortly before he became 81 years old. And uh, this was, he all, we always discussed all the new documents I found and letters and uh, hearings uh, of all kinds of people who told me something about my father. It was good to share with him. Um, we also discussed with all of us, the children always when we met through our life, we immediately after saying hello, we were discussing our father, the Third Reich, the war and our mother. And um, two of them, when my book came out, the first, The Father Revenge, uh, when it came out in 1987, they accused me openly and in public said um, I was a big liar. But we still stick together. We, I, I never broke up and also they broke not up. They hated my book. And uh, but we are still with uh, with me, and we were still living when we met each other. We lived in different parts of Germany through our professions, and uh, I always thought, what is the reason that we're still sticking together besides all the arguments we have, especially against me? <laughs> uh, and I think it was our Hank father because it was not to compare with all the other families, as I told you before. The speciality is you have a father who was a mass murderer and who was hanged 
And so this is something which made you staying together, I would mm. say. Um, have you met many other children of senior Nazis? And what, do they have a similar, you haven't, no. I guess, I guess they probably, do they keep quite silent about it? Oh, uh, there was, most of them were defending their fathers. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. So that's like, I guess, do you get loads of, I guess your courage is in the fact that someone you were so connected to biologically, you've, you've had the courage to stand up against that, which is quite hard. Was that because you're... Well, going it, against... was, it, it, it was not so hard. Uh, no. No. I think it's... Below. I, I am not responsible that I was born into this family. No. So no. you have to deal with it. Yeah. And uh, the first shock I got, and this shock is still living in me, was in the autumn of 1945, there came newspapers in Bavaria um, printed by the Americans. And there were a lot of pictures of dead bodies in concentration camps and uh, also bodies of my young age then. And this gave me a shock. And always was written under those photos, Poland. And I thought, Poland is ours, is the property of my father. And suddenly there was a connection. My father, Poland, my happy years in Poland, and these dead bodies. And this was, this was really a shock. My eldest brother, Norman, by the way, also had a look at his uh, photos and went to our mother. My father was then already in Nuremberg. And uh, he said to my mother, uh, Mutti, if, so, if these photos are true, uh, Fatih will not have any chance to survive. And he was right. Yeah. Um, nowadays, what do you do? Do you do much in order to raise awareness for the Holocaust? Um, are there any events or memorials that you take part in? Um, I no. I, as a journalist, uh, I I wrote articles around the world uh, for Stern magazine, mm -hmm. but. Uh, I always was, was a defender of democracy, but I never told, especially we have to uh, to defend our democracy, something like this it doesn't occur. You are a democratic journalist yeah. and you, yeah. you are writing your articles with this uh, background, for sure. Yeah. But on the other hand, I just have built a uh, the only honest, have I sent you a picture of my No, memorial? I'd love to see it if you, I haven't seen it Twitter. So, because I am so fed up with our German anti-Semitism and uh, we have built about 254 monuments for our victims around Germany. But, uh, I think the English word is 
hypocrisy or something, scheinheiligen German, you have to find out about in English. Uh, and I have filled up for 25,000 uh, 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 euro a monument with a big crocodile's tear uh, weeping a big tear and under is a text written the only honest monument for from us murder Jewish children, women and men. And uh, this was a big uh, uh, people and it stands now in my garden near to the street. I'm living in a little village and uh, they are standing and people looking at it and I always wanted to have said, say, there is one thing you can do as a German. Everybody also in Germany, like in Great Britain, or everybody has someone he, he or she loves really. And there's no German who has knows these pictures and uh, movie clips of murdered innocent people in his mind because of TV, about of history lessons in the schools and all, everybody. And so they should put their own most loved ones into these pictures they have in mind. Yes. And I always am telling when I'm uh, giving lectures in schools or in the public, I always say, you have to imagine you are sitting with your family in your home. Suddenly soldiers came, take you out on a truck. Then you are waiting uh, at a railway station. Then you were driven three days and nights through Germany into a foreign country. And then in the morning of the third day, they suddenly took away. So your personally most loved ones and kill them in the gas chamber or killing them, shooting or hanging. You have to do this, then you maybe get the imagination one millionth of all the pain we delivered to innocent people for your own family. And I also spoke this when, when uh, I had built up this monument in my garden and afterwards two mothers came and said now they understand they put their own child into this situation thinking as a scene that somebody is taking their beloved children two years old the one for the other mother's child took the child away and putting it to death and there they got a little idea well, what we have. Thank you so much for contributing. Thank you so much. I'll, I look forward to seeing the picture and I'll post it for anyone listening. So I will send you now the picture. Thank you so much for listening to that interview with Nicholas Frank. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, keep an eye out for more interviews. Um, next week should be very interesting. It's an interview with 
uh, Daryl Bock from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's one of the finest New Testament scholars in the world, and he'll be speaking about the reliability of the New Testament, uh, and in particular, the Gospels. So yeah, keep an eye out for that episode, and have a very happy New Year. Thanks.